And for men, it's a lot more difficult, you know, to constantly be investing that emotion and time into the relationship because we're really more compartmentalized. I and mean, we can take things, we can box things up in our brain and really just focus on one thing at a time, yeah. you know, versus really thinking about, well, what is my wife going through right now? Right. What does she feel? What can I do to make her feel happy today or feel connected today? Right. And that takes an added skill, right, for men to, to do that. So do you ever envy those so-called hashtag couples goals? Well, you know, when you first fall in love with someone, you get butterflies every time you see them. You lust them. You're infatuated with them. You want to be with them all the time, like best friends. Do you want that to last forever? Together, let's discover what it takes to say a massive yes to all the above. Through our topical discussions, our world-renowned guests that will help guide the way to a happier, sexier, and fun-loving relationship. We're not doctors or therapists. We are just two normal individuals who have had many ups and downs in our 23-year relationship. And counting. We've amassed our own wisdom over the years, but we're still learning, just like you. Nina and I believe you can have it all and still live your best lives, as long as you're willingly and consistently discover each other in new ways. And that right there is what the show is all about. We're Nina. And Roger. And this is The The Animal Show. Yeah, baby. Yeah, baby. <laughs> That's what I like. What a weekend. But before we get started on the weekend, my name is Roger, and I'm here with my beautiful wife, Nina. Hey, hey. And we are the Head Over Heels Show. <laughs> I love you. So, head Over Heels, baby. Head Over Heels life. Head Over Heels show. Head Over Heels everything. There you go. So happy Canada Day. Happy July 4th. And what a weekend it was. Yeah. Beautiful, gorgeous. Uh, We spent a little time at the beach. I got to say one thing about, we're celebrating Canada Day, but one thing about Canada Day is growing up, I grew up in Ottawa, and it is a extremely big celebration for Canada Day. They shut down all of downtown. People hang out from like day till three o'clock in the morning, four (laughs) o'clock in the morning. I lived right downtown, so as a kid, I used to just love walking around and seeing people, and it was my favorite day. Something else made it even more of a favorite day when my son was born on Canada Day. Happy You're birthday. Pride and joy. Happy birthday, Mr. Tristan. I can say he's 13, so I can say goodbye to my little boy and hello to my little man. That's right. <laughs> it's such an amazing day. I've always loved Canada Day. I mean, as an immigrant coming here, it was a big celebration being able to be, you know, running around the streets of Ottawa and just drink and party and having our baby born this Chasing day. boys. Chasing boys. <laughs> but what made it more special for us, both of us, was that, exactly that, the birth of our amazing boy. Yeah, so we hung out at the beach. We went just for the day, drove up for the day, had some fun, some relaxation. You know what's funny is we went up to this beach, I don't know, a year ago. We just met a bunch of people. Just a bunch of people and they're super nice and you know, we give off good energy and we believe that that attracts other people with good you energy. You attract who you are, yeah. period. So and we attract people like ourselves. Yeah, so we met, attracted a few people, you know, kids around the same age and uh, you know, just a simple text message, can we park in your driveway? And Can you the- come up for the weekend? <laughs> yeah, sure. <laughs> Actually, we don't even need to ask. We're just like, listen, we're coming up. Yep. They're like, yeah, just come, you're welcome. 
No, so we enjoyed great it. Weekend. It was great, great fun. Weekend. I hope everybody had an amazing time and safe time for their Canada Day on July 4th. Our TikTok is blowing up. Oh my God. Our, we're at almost 50,000 followers on TikTok. And I know well, all like of you on TikTok are listening to this. Two, maybe two weeks ago. Yeah. And, you know, because of all of you are listening to our show, it has blown up. Yeah. Our Head Over Heels show hashtag is over 5 million views. So hashtag Head Over Heels show. It's that is just insane. Over 5 million views. We're actually going to ask couples out there to, to post their favorite couples video and use the hashtag Head Over Heels show. On all the socials, by yeah. the way, not just on TikTok, whether it's YouTube, Instagram, Facebook, Hashtag head over your show and we'll feature you. We'll repost it. The only place sure. we can really repost it is Instagram and Facebook right. uh, because TikTok doesn't really let you. Yeah, use the hashtag. We'll start having some fun with it. Right, and right. we're working on some uh, some swag. We're trying to get some stuff, uh, some head over heels swag out there. Yeah. So we're just starting to work on that. Once we get everything settled and product in hand, we'll start doing some giveaways. We do do a giveaway every month. Mm -hmm. This month it's coming up. I'm not sure it's going to be I next week. I think this week is going to be weekly. If we, once we get a little bit of swag, we're going to do it every week. We yeah. just give something away every week. And you You're know, so generous. Yeah, why not? I want to <laughs> get our stuff out there and make people happy. That was our weekend, and I hope you guys had a great one. We are going to start learning some stuff from some amazing guests that came to us just by surprise. We just fell on each other's lap. Again, you attract who you are. Yes. So because we're doing this show, because we're out here helping you live a better relationship life, live a sexier relationship in marriage, we're attracting people to help us help you do it. Mm -hmm. Do you know what I mean? So, for example, today we have Dr. Ray and Jean Kadokonian. They have been married. This power couple, listen, have been married since 1998, Valentine's Day. They also co-founded... This Lighthouse Emotional Wellness Center, which is a successful counseling center in the Chicagoland area. After working with thousands of couples, they created and perfected a unique approach to coach couples to have amazing relationships. Isn't that great? Yeah. And Everybody needs amazing relationships. Absolutely, yeah. Their course is called Couple Synergy, as well as their own podcast called Couple Synergy. They co-founded and authored a book titled Good Boundaries, Great Relationships. You know, guys, when it comes to relationships... This couple believe they can't teach it unless they live it. Absolutely. They are real couple who have worked really hard to create an amazing relationship throughout difficult challenges that life throws at all of us. Their knowledge and experience not only comes from helping thousands of couples, but their own relationship, which they are really, really proud of. Well, understandable. This is how we started this podcast. We said, you know what? We want to learn from our own things and as well from people like Dr. Ray and Jean. So if you guys are ready to learn, let's welcome Dr. Ray and Jean Kataconian to the show. So welcome to the show, Dr. Ray and Jean Kataconian. <laughs> Thank you <laughs> so much right? for having us. Yes, Thanks you did. Yeah, Thank, perfect. You. Thank you for having us on the show. <laughs> Thanks for being here. Uh, we're really excited for today. We're excited to learn from you guys. So why don't you tell us and our listeners what it is that you do and how you help couples? Well, for the past 20 years, over 20 years, we have been working in the mental health field. We started a counseling practice, a, a very successful counseling practice in the Chicagoland area in 2002 with the premise of helping couples navigate their relationships. We found that in working in the mental health field, 
that there weren't really great resources out there mm-hmm. for couples. And a lot of therapists are thrown into a session with a couple not having any knowledge or training in working with a couple. And so we decided we were going to create our own model, a more effective model in working with couples called Couple Synergy. So we look at relationships more developmentally. And most people aren't, you know, no one goes to school to be in a relationship. There's no courses. Well, we developed one, but there's not a lot of resources out there. And so our model is really to teach couples how to interact and not so much to facilitate their interactions, but that they know they have a really strong foundation of tools and how to get through difficult things in life or have those conversations that they didn't know they needed to have. A little known fact in the psychological world that most people don't know is that marriage counseling, traditional marriage counseling, has the worst success rate across the board of all therapies. And can often lead to divorce. And it can often lead to divorce if a therapist Mm -hmm. is not skilled and an expert in working with couples. And so my doctoral dissertation really focused on that and how couples therapists have to have different considerations when working with a couple. And especially as a married couple, we are able to balance a lot of gender bias that occurs within the therapeutic setting. So you came up with your own course in terms of like a therapy course? Is that what you, what you do? It is a our own unique model in working with couples. We take a lot of different theories and therapies and we have created our own to meet couples where they're at, to be able to bust through any gender bias originally and be able to actually help couples grow their relationship and hit that next level. So we've packaged it in a few different ways. One way is a home study course. Uh, The the next way is our weekend intensive. And the weekend intensive, you learn it all in four days, which is really incredible. And then the couple to couple program where we work with a couple as a couple with a couple, uh, that's designed for the diving deep because we know that every relationship is a 50-50. Each person has brought their own stuff and there's going to either be two winners or two losers. So no refereeing, you know, you can help both people or you help neither one. So you both do it together? I work typically with the husbands individually. Jane works with the wives individually. And then we come together, the four of us, and we teach them the skills necessary to actually have that healthy relationship. I think that's great. I think that's way better than having just one therapist. Like like you said, they they can be biased. It can be, you know, if it's a male or a female, just like us when we were in real estate, we saw a lot of divorce. People are getting divorced. We saw a lot of their homes. So we always like the therapist in there because he sort of deals with the husband 90% of the time and I deal with the wife yeah. when we're selling their home. Yeah, we always kind of, and we, we, when there's a divorce situation, we'll sit in front of them and we'll tell them, listen, I'll be working with the husband, let's say, she'll be working with the wife. Nina and I will not discuss, because I mean, people rant, especially when they're dealing with real estate and dealing with something big, they're going to rant about something and why create an argument? between them. So we tell them, Nina and I are not going to discuss what you guys say to each other. Even if you tell us to say it to them, we're not going to do it because that's not what we're here for. We're here to help you sell the home, make it less stressful and less about your divorce than than anything else. So Mm -hmm. I I could see why that would develop a lot of trust because that's a scary thing to go through. And if you feel like one person is siding with someone, then, you know, and you're going through this big life change, that's awesome. Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, they're already going through a huge change. Divorce, as you know, is one of the top five stressful things to do. 
Next is moving and, and selling your home. So literally, we're dealing with two very stressful things for these couples. So I feel like we're therapists for most of the time. <laughs> We've been doing this 15 years. And it's just like, you know, I love the fact that you're doing it together. We're, we're very relatable. <laughs> when you're meeting with couples, is there a, I guess, more common issue that they would have? Like in the people you've been treating? Or, I don't know if is the right word, but. Yeah, the number one problem that couples, you know, come in with is a communication problem. Yeah. And they say communication. It's a very overarching problem, right? Because it there's a, a big spectrum when it comes to communication and how they define that within the relationship. But, you know, that's typically what people are explaining or complaining about. So the first chunk of time of our program is actually explaining what happens in communication breakdown. It is not about like vocabulary. We don't hand them a dictionary and give them better words. You know, it's really about the individual person has a disconnect between their head and their heart. And what happens throughout our childhood and our domestication is we're taught not to trust our feelings. And so when there's a disconnect between the head and heart, we're always going to go with our head because it's what we know. And human beings love what we know. And our heart is like the unknown. And then when there's that divide, nobody's speaking from that place which is why we do the individual work first to help someone have a better connection and trust themselves and then be able to share that with their partner. That, that is so true. You, you're right on when you say like, we can differentiate between our head and our heart 90% of the time because we, we always go with what we think is right, which is our head. Now, do these couples tell you that they have a communication problem when they come in to see you? Yes, they do. So they know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, either they're arguing a lot or they're not arguing at all. And they're acting like roommates in their relationship. It permeates through all facets of their relationship, not just their intimate relationship, but also their co-parenting. Mm-hmm. You know, if they have kids, it permeates throughout their ex- extended family relationships. That issue is very, very pervasive in a couple's relationship. So the first thing that'll happen is they typically love each other. They want to be together. And they've gotten stuck in this pattern that if they do try to be bring up a topic or be honest with each other, they'll get into an argument and it's hurtful to the other person. So they avoid it. And then in that avoidance, they start distracting themselves. They've got the kids really involved. They're watching a lot of TV. They're not spending time together. So all of those things kind of contribute to that. So they have this underlying feeling like I'm with my person, but I feel really alone and really disconnected. And so it's a really normal part of a developmental process of relationship. Mm-hmm. And it typically starts to happen when a baby's born. You know, we'll ask couples, when's the last time we took a trip together? And they'll be like, 15 years ago, our kid's 15, you know, and that's really <laughs> common. Yeah. Yeah. This is very typical for couples. You know, this pattern of in the beginning, they're head over heels in love with each other and they're connecting with each other, able to talk about all different types of topics, even if they have differing opinions. Mm-hmm. But as they start to invest more and more in the relationship, now that risk of being rejected and abandoned increases. Yeah. And so couples start to back off on those sensitive subjects. They start tiptoeing around each other. Yeah. And so when you start to distance yourself from your partner and not communicate about these things, what happens is that space is filled in with resentment. I find myself if I'm if if I'm either arguing or if I have something like you said in my my heart and my head, 
my head will be like, if I say this, what will be the outcome? What is, what's going to happen? What am I going to have to do? What am I going to have to, how am I going to have to fix it? Like I was joking yesterday, we went out shopping and there was some flowers there. I said, Nina, can you buy yourself some flowers? Because in case I do something wrong. With you. You know? <laughs> <laughs> so like, I don't want to have to deal with the consequences sometimes of saying what I want to say and reap the whatever backlash I'm going to get. And, and that's a typical pattern that a lot of guys fall into is, you know, I, I don't want to make my, my wife unhappy. Yeah. So I'm just going to do everything that she tells me to do. Right. The honeydew list. If I, you just give me the list, tell me all the things that I need to do and I'll just do it. You know, then she should be happy. And that's not the case at all no. yeah. because that's not what wives want. They want their husbands to take the initiative. They want their husbands to be considerate, right. To have that forethought of putting them at the top of mind. Yeah. Well, I mean, the to-do list is a a little tough because she she leaves for an hour. She gives me 20 things to do, like 20 20 hours worth of work in one hour. (laughs) You can do it, honey. (laughs) You can do it. (laughs) You know, what you guys are talking about is a perfect example because people don't know what to do when those big emotions come up. And actually, you can't do anything. It's like being around a person who just went through the loss of, especially a big loss, like a child or so, and there's no words or a spouse, there's no words and there's no words in a relationship either. And there doesn't need to be words. What there needs to be is a space. And that's what we teach people and and they feel so much relief. Like, so I don't have to fix this. I don't have to (laughs) do anything with it. Well, there are things you have to do, but it's very much like you are now dealing with your partner's child. And we talk about this in terms of iceberg, like, when you have an emotion, 15% is above the water, 15% you, is happening right now, and your partner probably did it. But 85% is history. Yeah. It's below the surface and you can't see it. And it's trying to come up for healing because we get wounded through relationship and we heal through relationship. And so that's a big part of our work is how to teach people, how do you shrink that iceberg? And it has nothing to do with flowers or even words. <laughs> you absolutely makes 100% sense because... If you even think back to any time we argue, whether with our, it's with our children, with our husbands, or it's always leads to something that happened before. That's something that was bottled up, that was never brought up. Mm-hmm. It comes up. And that argument is because of something that happened before. It's 100% true. Mm-hmm. We call those emotional echoes. And those emotional echoes from the past are, it's inevitable that they are going to come up in our committed partnership. Because in order to have a committed partnership, you have to be vulnerable, right? And so in that vulnerability, that's where a lot of that pain, past wounds, insecurities are going to come to the surface. One of our most listened to episodes is called The Late Night Fight. Late Night Fight? Yeah, because we want to make it really normal that this stuff comes out ugly. It doesn't come out lovely and with nice words. It comes out in pain. And when we are in that place of pain... We're just very reactive. And so we really want to normalize that because the people who are not doing that are probably not sharing. Yeah, that late night fight is usually at like two, three in the morning. <laughs> Nobody can know. sleep. <laughs> <laughs> but it's true though. It's 100% true. It's funny, like our, our most listened to episode had to do with how to make your day sexier. Get the boring part out of just like you said, being roommates and you know having a little bit of fun with each other during the day. Not completely about sex, but just playful flirting during the day or that kind of stuff. I remember listening to one of your um, your episodes and you were talking about how one of the, I guess, beginning phases of 
a marriage falling apart is things like sleeping in different beds or going to bed at different times. Mm-hmm. So that would be a big, I, like when I thought about it, I'm like, that is true. Like I, like I said, we sell houses and we'll go in and a lot of times we'll sit there and, oh, that's my husband's room and this is my room. And some of these people, you'd expect that to somebody in their 60s, maybe 70s because of different reasons. But some of these people are in their 30s and 40s. Like you sleep in different rooms. Oh, yeah, he snores or this or that. He works late. But I, as opposed to fixing the issue yeah. that, you know, they right. keep separating. And we've been together 24 years. I mean, we're not doctors like yourselves or therapists, but we have been in this game for so long that we've been fixing our issues ourselves. So this is why the show came about. There's so many people, so many couples go up to us and ask us for help. We're like, well, this is how we do ours. I mean, you got to do yours differently. But you being doctors and therapists, you see this all the time. What is the number one problems that couples have besides communicating? What do you think that is? So men and women are designed differently, right? And in the beginning, when we get together, uh, nature helps us. It floods our brain with so much lovely things and we don't have to eat and we don't have to sleep and, you know, everything is fabulous. And I think that is just a little taste of what you can get of what you could have if you work through stuff. And you guys being together 24 years, you have been infusing your lives with each other for so long that you can't do that work eight years in, right? And so one of the things that if you look at the graph for men sexually, it's sort of like goes up, it peaks, goes down, just whoop, you know? And for women, it's like preheat the oven and I need affection and I need some attention and I need a cup of coffee. And our brains, the female brain is like, where are the kids? I got to work. What's the grocery list? What's this? And if someone just comes and jumps on you, <laughs> your brain's like, what? what's happening right now? But that's how it is for men. Men are like Boop, instantly. And then I'm done. And so the goal is really to teach couples those other skills of the, the daily touching base and affection. Everything happens outside of the bedroom. Mm-hmm. So by the time you do come together, especially the woman who's receptive is ready and open and available to receive. It's a culmination of that connection in all areas of human connection, you know, mental, uh, emotional, physical, and spiritual. And that is something that constantly has to be happening. You can't expect there to be this disconnect where you're two ships passing in the night and then try to become intimate, right? And for men, it's a lot more difficult you know, to constantly be investing that emotion and time into the relationship because we're really more compartmentalized. I and mean, we can take things, we can box things up in our brain and really just focus on one thing at a time, yeah. you know, versus really thinking about, well, what is my wife going through right now, right? What does she feel? What can I do to make her feel happy today or feel connected today, right? And that takes an added skill, right, for men to, to do that. It's harder as well for men to think because like Jean said, we are, us women, our minds are on the kids, the groceries, the food. So men, it's hard for them to figure out what women are really thinking because our heads all over the place. And like you said, men are compartmentalized things. So you know exactly what to focus on. There's so- actually a, a physical difference in men and women's brain. You know, men, we can only use one hemisphere of the brain at a time. So we shift from right hemisphere to left hemisphere. That's why we can zero in on a task, be laser focused, and accomplish that task. 
But women, their brain, they can use both hemispheres of the brain simultaneously. So why would you a lot more? <laughs> right. There's a lot of multitasking that's that's going on. And, you know, sometimes when Jean is thinking, she'll finish the sentence of what she's thinking and she'll just be like, OK, and then we'll go do and th- do this. And I don't know what she was talking about before that. She, you know, you just changed subjects, right? <laughs> can you just fill me in? on that thought that you had there, right? You know, if you think about it like this, a a man's brain is like a house with many rooms, a big house. And every room has a a telephone in it, but every telephone has a different number. So if he's on the phone in this room, none of the other rooms exist. And a woman's brain is like a house with many rooms, but there's a phone in every room and it's the same number. So as long as she's on the phone, she knows what's going on everywhere else. And she'll watch you hang up the phone on her and go somewhere else. And the way men and women experience jealousy is really interesting because a man's jealousy is really like, because I can never be sure that I produce this child, I want to make sure that there's no physical sexuality going on with someone else that would interfere with my genetics. And so as long as that's safe, guy's good. But a woman's jealousy is like, I need to make sure he stays engaged, takes care of me, takes care of the kids. And we're almost like vigilant about it for many years after having children because our resources uh, depend on it. The priority is the emotional connection. Even if it's not, you know, financial anymore, but back, you know, for thousands and thousands of years, that was necessary for your children to survive. Wow, Gina, I'm blown away. Your analogy, honestly, was like amazing. Like, seriously, man's mind got true. You have, you know, different phone numbers, right? too. It's amazing. You're so good. And I, and I just want to give credit. That analogy comes from a book called The New Feminine Brain by, I think it's Lisa Monet Smith, but The New Feminine Brain. Yeah. That's, it was great. I've never heard it before, so it was awesome. I'll, le- I'll leave it to you. It's your analogy. <laughs> I learned it from you. <laughs> Pass it on. We all need to hear it. So now, what does a healthy sexual development look like in a long-term relationship? What does that look like? Yeah, you know, in the beginning, obviously, it's just all passion, fireworks, and all that going on, right? As we said, when a relationship starts investing more time and energy and as you become much more vulnerable well now a lot of the past wounds and insecurities come to the surface right all of these emotional echoes and a lot of the emotional echoes are tied to sexuality all right so what we learn growing up about sexuality and intimacy you know comes to the surface and now a couple is challenged to work out these wounds together and almost redefine what an intimate connection is supposed to be, you know, in a healthy relationship. The pattern that we see in, in many couples, this is not all couples because everyone has different backgrounds. Right. And unfortunately, what's going on in our, our social media and internet porn is really disrupting all these natural processes. But typically what happens is women naturally are very giving and generous. And a couple gets together and her only focus is him. Everything's lovely. And then a baby comes along and now she's got to split that focus and she's got to take care of this child. At the same time, she's worried about him not being satisfied, possibly looking somewhere else. So she starts having what we call service sex, where I don't want to go somewhere else. He has needs. I'm going to take care of him, but I'm drained. I'm not getting a lot out of this. And over time, and this is about seven years, 
she gets pretty depleted and her body starts to say, I can't do this. Mm. And she gets to a point where she's like, if we don't change something, you got to do what you got to do because I, I'm, I'm worn out. I can't right. just continue this. And what she's looking for is for that sexual energy to come up from, you know, the genitals and up into the heart area and have more nurture. And if people want to have better sex, then look at your partner and see where they're overwhelmed and help them there. Mm. Yeah. Not, yeah. you know, touch here for two seconds <laughs> and there for three minutes. That's, <laughs> you know, and that's why the, the weekend intensive is so incredible because it's done in an inn that has no TVs. You take away cell phones and they are hundred percent focused on each other for four days. And when does that ever happen? Yeah. And so naturally they're touching more, they're talking more, the, the life stressors are gone. And that's why when people go on vacation, they tend to have way better sex. Yeah. Because all the stress. Yes. I've noticed. <laughs> I agree. <really, really. laughs> Does this weekend course, is that, are you doing that now as well with the COVID or? We are. We actually did one in April. We had it limited to only six couples because of COVID. But this coming September, 9th through 12th, we're doing, uh, we're doubling that. So we'll have 12 couples and it's in uh, just in North Michigan, north of New Buffalo, right on the lake shore. It's this inn that we rented the entire in all of the rooms so that we have control over the whole space. Mm-hmm. We have a personal chef and wine tastings and a, and a uh, dinner dance on Saturday nights. It's a really not only educational and informative for a lot of couples and experiential, but it's also a lot of fun too. Yeah. It's also very close to the Canadian borders. Just yes, it is. To say it out. So we get a lot of Canadians out there too. <laughs> Yeah, because relationships should be fun. They should be fun. And that's the part that makes them sexy, right? Is it's not having a big argument. Although the makeup sex, if you really are good at delving into healing those wounds, that is also very incredible. Sometimes makeup arguments just happen. I was just going to say, he'll he'll just start a big fight just so we can, you know, not talk for a day or two and then have a big makeup sex. (laughs) Well, if you think about what's happening in your brain when you have a big fight, you are also releasing a lot of endorphins, endorphins and stuff. Yep. And then if you also are bonding at the same time and releasing the oxytocin, then you feel a really deep connection as well as the endorphins. And, and you know, we, we have to put a caveat here. It would be like a productive argument, yeah. not destructive argument, right? Because those are two different things. Like, um, you know, productive argument is kind of like a a fire through the forest. It kind of clears out all the underbrush, right? The ability for couples to be able to work out the things that they've been holding inside and any resentments that they're, you know, have towards their partner. But not just burn your house. But not just burn the house down, (laughs) right? Not that kind of uh, argument, no. (laughs) Well, like like you were saying before about uh, different woman and man being on different levels and, and having to get the woman in the mood. Uh, we just did an interview with, um, I think it was Suzanne Bratton, I think it said. So the analogy of like, if you're going up the stairs, the, husband, the wife is always going to be a few steps low in terms of sexual desire, mm-hmm. a few steps lower. So you ha- instead of trying to get her up to your step, you got to back down a step below her and bring bring her up kind of thing. So get her in the mood and all that kind of stuff. So yeah, it makes a lot of sense the way, the way you guys put it. And, and that's where, you know, that's not how it looks in pornography. Pornography right. is like, oh, everybody's just ready all the time. And, <laughs> right. You know, and that's and where that women are the aggressors, too. Right. right. And men haven't learned that. Like, boys are not being taught. Open the door and hold her hand and slow down and be connected. There's like, come on, let's go, let's mm-hmm. go. 
And, yeah. and you know what's what's a very interesting thing that we're seeing also in today's day and age is men who are staying home with the kids. Mm-hmm. It's much more fluid now, so it's not necessarily a masculine brain as a male brain, right? But men who are staying home, they are actually having more of that kind of feminine approach to sexuality and intimacy because now they are having to be emotionally available for all the kids mm-hmm. and being able to take care of everything going on. And so when their wife comes home, they are tired, right? They have to replenish their energy. And they've had a lot of affection from the kids. And they've had a lot of affection <laughs> from the kids. And so we're, we're seeing, you know, those career women, you know, who are coming home, they are actually much more, you know, sexual in nature in energy in the relationship and the men are not. Really? Yeah. The, the, yeah, the roles have been turned. No, I don't. We have few clients like that. Yeah. And there are men, they, the fathers are staying home and the mothers have better know. jobs, so they go work and... I didn't know it home. would affect like their... You know, sexual mindset or whatever. Yeah, your brain actually will rewire. So one of the parts of a feminized brain is that you have to pay attention, right? You have to, where are the kids? What's going on? And our brains are designed to look at a baby and go, is my child in distress? Does my child need food? Does my child need? And the male brain, masculine brain doesn't necessarily do that. But once you start doing that and paying attention, that's going to develop. And, and then you're more aware of what's going on everywhere. So it is developmental and our brains can change throughout our entire lives. Makes sense. So guys out there, just, if you want more sex, quit your job and let the wife go to work. (laughs) (laughs) That's all you need. Perfect. We'll we'll see how that goes. Are you quitting your job now? (laughs) Now you guys mentioned a few times uh, that like marriage counseling and that kind of stuff could, could actually damage your relationship. Mm-hmm. Um, and the reason why I'm going back to that is I, I did have a conversation with a very good friend of mine that tried marriage counseling and he, he felt he was just getting bashed the whole time mm-hmm. to the point where they stopped going and the therapist emailed them or called them to apologize and say, I handled this wrong. It was a female therapist and he was the male in the relationship. He hated it. He's like, I was being bashed the whole time. So exactly like what you said, is that a common, is that why you say that? It, it absolutely is. Actually, marriage therapy in the 60s and going into the 70s, they started uh, incorporating couples conducting marriage therapy. But when managed care stepped in, all the insurance companies, they decided that that was too, too expensive, right? And that it was effective if only one person did conductor the therapy. And what you mentioned there that your friend went to a female therapist, that's pretty common because 80 to 90% of marriage therapists are women. Yeah. And 80 to 90% of people who initiate therapy, initiate marriage counseling is the wife. So right off the bat, the man is walking into a, a room where he's outnumbered. Yeah. Right. And that he doesn't want to be there. Mm. So if it's not balanced, it just turns into a, a bashing session, as you said, right? And then the couple is, is trying to get that therapist on their side. The therapist is pushed into this role of being a referee. Yeah. And a lot of therapists, the mistakes that they make is that they start to give advice on what the couple should do, whether they should be together, whether they should be divorced. That's the worst thing that you know, a therapist can do. That's kind of a typical way of, of that happening, you know, because the couple is coming in with all their conflict, 
And a therapist that's not trained and not experienced in working with couples is going to fall into that trap. Most of the training in the mental health field or becoming a therapist is very dominated by logic and thoughts and theory. And the language of relationship is emotion. There's no logic to it. And so you could say something that sounds right, but it's not. And it's not for every individual. And so every therapist brings their own stuff into the relationship as well. And many of those therapists are divorced or single, never been in a relationship. And what they're doing is giving theory. It's a really frustrating feeling of not being heard. If you're a couple that's like, so you're just telling me I should do this, you know, and sometimes doing that is like the the five love languages, right? One woman, she came in, she says, my language is gifts. So you should go out and buy me lots of gifts and spend a lot of money on me and and totally use that the wrong way, you know, and that's where logic can get in the way of, of the emotional stuff. And, you know, us working with couples for so long, we've had to work on our stuff and a couple will come in with an issue and we'll fight it out. And then, (laughs) because we have to stay learning, like, what is this and, and how have we experienced that? And. How can we teach them a different way or help them explore that better? Well, that's what I like about you, you two is you're, you're not only teaching, you're practicing what you preach. We get a lot of, like I said, we're in sales. We're, you know, not just that, like Instagram, that kind of stuff. People will message us and say, oh, I can get you more followers, but you have 150 followers. You should have 20,000 to be sitting there telling me how to get more followers. You know what I mean? Like if you're not practicing what you preach, how do you know it? You know, the Catholic, I don't know how it is in the U.S. here, but the Catholic church here, if you're going to get married, they want you to take a course from a priest who's not allowed to get married. Right. Know okay. You know what I mean? It's, it, so we never got married in the Catholic church. <laughs> it's just baffling. It's like, if you, don't, if, you, if you haven't done it, it's like, you know, uh, trying to learn basketball from somebody who has no idea. Right. They read a book on it, but they haven't actually played the game. Yeah, Absolutely. Exactly. Absolutely. In a relationship. Now, to go on a different topic, like I know we talked about sex and all that kind of stuff, but what are other things that, let's say people are together for about four or five years and they haven't quite gotten to that seven-year itch that people talk about, what are little things that, like little red flags that they've been doing that they can stop doing to make relationship disconnect? Well, the, the number one thing that couples are doing wrong is that they are not spending enough quality time with each other, Right. And quality time is a really big buzzword. Everyone, oh, quality time, yeah. Now, we use the term face-to-face time because face-to-face time really shows that you should be facing your partner, whether it's across the dinner table, whether it's, you know, just turning on the couch and be interacting with each other. And it should not involve anyone else. Hmm. So if the kids are involved, it's family time. That's not face-to-face time. Yeah. If you're out with another couple, that is having dinner with friends, right? Yeah. And it's not that face-to-face time. So that that interaction without any screens, so you can't have the TV on in the background, mm-hmm. it is very important for couples to continue to invest in their relationship. And some of the studies say that it should be five to six hours a week of that face-to-face time in order to have a quality relationship. You think about business. I mean, how often do we have meetings in a business or in a company? You know, some people have one to two, three meetings a week just to kind of take a compass point reading. It's like, where are we at? Where do we want to go? 
Yeah. You know, what do we need to improve? And if if businesses don't do that, they're going to fail. Yeah. And if you think about a relationship as this merging of two businesses, if a couple is not constantly meeting together, it's not constantly having that face-to-face interaction and figuring out where are we at? Where do we want to go, right? What do we need to improve? Then the relationship is naturally going to degrade over time. If you think about a relationship like a bank account and the times you are spending together, having fun, you know, creating together, those are deposits and separate, doing your logistics, fighting, being upset about stuff, those are withdrawals. Most couples are pretty redlining it. And so, Trying to have that face-to-face time can be a little intimidating because first thing you want to want to do is talk about stuff, but you have nothing to withdraw from. Yeah. So we also like, it, we really encourage people to do new things, mm-hmm. especially things that are exciting, you know, like go take a class in something, go do a photography session together, yeah. uh, take a dance class, go do the paint night, do something that you are exposing yourself to something new, which actually rewires your brain and gets you out of that pattern that you're just in. Especially, I mean, you guys have been in quarantine for a year. That's really a lot of patterns. There's not a lot of stuff to break that up, you know? And so that creativity and that the, the thrilling aspect releases that oxytocin too and bonds you instead of, and then you'll be able to tackle some deeper stuff later. As being a quarantine for a year, I think that's, that's why this show has been doing so well because we're sitting here every week helping other couple like us say, okay, you can do this to help your relationship because what happens being together all the time, living in the same space, working, taking care of children, being couples, it really takes a strain on our relationships. So we're doing this show because we're trying to help couples say, okay, you could do this, you could do that, even at home. Like we've had a date night almost every week since the quarantine started, just to keep us sane because we don't have that our time together. Mm-hmm. Everybody else has our time, sorry, from our kids, from our business. So being a quarantine has really showed us that we could do it. You know, we really could do it. <laughs> I think like you're saying, scheduling it is very important. I mean, if you're not making the time to do it, then you have to put it in a schedule and, and have something to, because uh, it, it'll be too easy to just say, well, we'll do it tomorrow. Well, that's we'll what we've been doing. Friday. Our Friday nights are our date nights now. Yeah, we yeah. literally, Raj and I have our nights every, every Friday, just ourselves. The kids go upstairs in the computers. We have our time here. We have our music, our, whatever we have to do just to have our, you know, a couple hours alone and face to face. We're saying to schedule this kind of stuff. What, what do you guys take on things like scheduling sex? I'm glad you brought that up because we actually don't, we're not proponents of scheduling sex across the board for all couples. All right. We actually did an episode on this, whether you should schedule sex in your relationship. And, you know, for some couples, it may be effective, Mm -hmm. but for other couples, it actually might be more detrimental, you know, especially if one of them feels pressured by sex, or maybe there's a history of a sexual trauma. And so if it's scheduled, then that person would feel like now I have to give service sex, right? Now I feel controlled in the relationship. I like the idea that you guys are saying you're scheduling couple time Mm -hmm. and it doesn't have to be that ends in sex. It's that giving energy to your relationship. You know, if you think about your attention, like money, if every minute of your life is worth a dollar. And you're doing things that just 
throwing money out the window, like watching TV that doesn't get back to you, watching, you know, whatever the distraction type of stuff we do. If you're on Facebook for 20 minutes, give Facebook 20 bucks. But if you're sitting there face to face with your partner for an hour, you gave your partner $60 and they gave you $60. So at least you're not in a deficit. And then if you do things that are investments, investments in your relationship, whenever we create, like if you remodel a room or something, you walk back in and you get all the energy from that again, and it feels great. And those kind of things will add to that connection, which will hopefully naturally lead to more intimacy, as opposed to we haven't seen each other all week. It's Thursday at seven o'clock. Go. Yeah. yeah, no, we agree. Uh, we uh, we don't we don't think anybody should schedule sex. To be well, honest, but it's not. It works for some people, I guess. We we we've, we've heard different points for both sides, mm-hmm. and I understand that. Like we work together, we're we're together a lot, but some couples are not. They're they don't see each other until the end of the day. So, yeah, scheduling it so it doesn't get thrown to the wayside for like two or three months mm-hmm. is important. But I I think that you have to if you're going to schedule it to make it. Make it a, a an event, not just wham bam, thank you, ma'am, kind of thing. You know, you're, you're whether there's a massage involved or something or something to get both of you in the mood. You know. Well, I think the key difference is what you mentioned is that some couples don't see each other at all, and then if they have this scheduled intimacy, you know, time, it, they're trying to connect at all those levels: mental, you know, emotional, physical, and spiritual at this scheduled time without having all of that foundational connection that's happening. We're big proponents of showing affection to your spouse when you first wake up and before you go to bed. And so there should be an embrace, non-sexual embrace, five minutes when you first wake up and five minutes, you know, right before you go to bed. And if you're beginning the day and ending the day with connecting with your partner in that way, you are at least doing something every single day. Right. And there are couples that maybe the first point of contact that they have is, you know, texting at lunch. Yeah. Because one person leaves before the other person wakes up. And now they're just the the day is already gone and they haven't even connected with their partner. Yeah. I mean, that's our thing, too. We that's Mm -hmm. huge for that. Every morning, every night, we have to be together. And, And I think every couple should be able to fix that. They should see each other in the morning and at night. I don't care what time yeah. they work. I think but it's actually, important. The, the point you said is great because we've had this many, many times where if she sees me, I woke up in a bad mood or whatever. It, a lot of it stems from, well, the first thing I heard was you yelling, get up to the kids, get up, get up, get up, that kind of stuff. So it was, I didn't wake up in a great mindset because she likes to wake up early and goes downstairs and do some reading and have a little bit of alone time. So I let her do that and she, I get her to come wake me up when she's ready. So if she yells screams and yells from downstairs to get up. I'll wake up in a little bit of a different mood than if she were to come up and give me a nice little hug and kiss and cuddle and wake me up kind of thing. It is exactly like you're saying that it makes a a big difference in your day-to-day mindset. kind of. If you think about our nervous system, right, it's designed to look for potential threats. And so most of us are constantly in a place of at least a two or three alarm alertness. And Really good sex requires like that to go away, right? Our parasympathetic nervous system to say, everything's fine and we're good. You just described that perfectly. You're waking up like, there's a problem. And already your nervous system is like, ah. And we watch so many things like on TV that are, they're jarring. The action stuff, our nervous system is like, no, the world's not safe. I have to be vigilant. And what you're talking about having quality sex is like, 
the massage slows that down and gets those stress chemicals out and helps you come to a place where you can be much more connected. So that was a really good analogy for that. <laughs> I think I got her in a mood. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> you gotta get ready, right? Yeah. <laughs> but there, there was a couple that we were talking to about, about that. They're, they're big proponents of, of scheduling sex. So I saw the benefits that they were saying, but I always thought to myself, you know, it's great, but if you just depend on the day that you're scheduling that sex, then it becomes a task and it's kind of boring. There's no spontaneity. That's why I was saying, make your day sexier in our episode. We're just little things, you know, like I said, maybe get her in the mood, maybe get me in the mood. They don't always lead to sex those days, right? Just do it to make it more fun to be around each other. Mm -hmm. That's why we don't, we're not proponents of it, a blanket statement across the board of all couples, because it should be a culmination, a crescendo of this connection that you have been creating over the entire week, right? Versus it's starting that connection, Mm. right? I would wonder too, what's actually turning them on on that day? Is it their partner or is it other things? You know, are they having a fantasy in their head? Are they, what else is stimulating them by the time they get together? Maybe their bodies are ready, but they haven't probably had the connection that they're looking for. Yeah. Well, I mean, we've had, I mean, like I said, we've been in lockdown. We, we haven't been able to go out to a restaurant or a bar or anything. We love to dance. We haven't been able to do that. So we do it here. But Friday nights. Uh, that's what I was saying. We schedule our time together because we love to dance. And yeah. that's our Friday night dance night. So we do that, but on Valentine's Day this year, Nina had put together this whole day where she rented a hotel room, we're away from the kids. Actually, the kids begged us to do it, to go out. (laughs) So we rented a hotel room close by the home and we set up that day. Like we bought nice clothes for each other, you know, like sexy outfits or whatever and, you know, massage oils. And so for a few weeks, we were very excited for that day. We're kept on thinking about what's going to happen on that day. And, you know, so the excitement kind of bled into the, to the days that we were leading up to that day. A couple of weeks. Yeah. <laughs> we were having fun. <laughs> and that's what you did when you were dating, right? You went and bought some clothes. You yeah. groomed yourself. You looked forward to it. You focused on it. And then you're ready by the time mm-hmm. you get together to really be present. That's awesome. I love that. That's and it's a new, this, but this time I bought the clothes for her and she, you know, that, <laughs> that's fun. <laughs> you know, we're all about fun. Relationships should be fun. They shouldn't be hard. I mean, yeah. like I said, 24 years, we've actually done, I think, a really good job of keeping our relationship exciting and happy and fun and togetherness. And I know a lot of couples don't have the togetherness that we're, they're not lucky enough to have that togetherness that we do because we work together which I think brings out a lot of conflict in their relationship. So what is the healthy conflict in a relationship look like? That's a, that's a pretty tough question to answer, pretty complex question to answer. So it, it really is that there's a third center of power that's our gut, right? Our gut is really raw emotion. That's really, it's connected to our hindbrain. That's only concerns is food and safety. Yeah. Right. And so When you get really good at this, you'll just have a feeling. I just feel unsettled. Something doesn't feel right. And you don't even have words for it because things can happen long before we're conscious of it. And that's the way our brain reacts. Like if there's a 
an event that happens that's fairly traumatic, like a car accident or some big thing, our conscious mind, it's like, you can't handle that. I'm going to tuck that away, you know? And so it's usually experienced as that type of thing like this. I just feel, and then you sit and you can have conversations about that and you'll find it. It'll come up. Anger is considered a secondary emotion, which means that we have primary emotions that occur before anger comes up. So primary emotions are much more vulnerable, like, you know, fear or sadness or embarrassment, shame, guilt, you know, they're very uncomfortable emotions. And when we feel them, anger comes in to protect us from feeling it. It kind of shields us and, you know, gives us an armor, right? And so when couples are fighting in a very destructive way, it's the defensiveness. It's the, the anger that's coming out to protect them from feeling the primary emotions. And a productive conflict is where couples are able to actually express and share the primary emotions that are coming up, right? Not necessarily that their partner is the one who caused it, right? Because we talked about the iceberg before and these emotional echoes that typically anytime your partner has an intense emotional reaction to something you said or did, 85% of the time, it is a past emotional echo that's coming to the surface. And so couples who are able to kind of be able to work through that, they're actually able to heal those past wounds and they're able to heal each other and heal it in each other. And so that's where we see a very effective conflict occurring in, in a relationship. And that, as you can see, it, it takes time. Yes. It takes a lot of investment. It takes carefulness, carefulness right? And care and compassion for your partner. And it's a skill that actually needs to be taught. I think like you're saying, the anger, the defense mechanism, like in our case, if we fight and we're getting mad, or if I get angry or something like that, I'll want to step out for a little bit. Step out, breathe, get rid of the anger, and then come back with a more of a level head and be able to think about what I'm going to say to maybe win the argument or come close to winning. (laughs) <laughs> so and then she does the same thing she'll mm-hmm. if she gets really mad she'll walk away and say you know give me 10 minutes to get that anger part out it does make a lot of sense because like you said it takes a lot a lot of time and skills and been together for so long i can tell you 100 percent it's real because at the beginning of our relationship i would say the first 10 years i used to second guess myself is this is this gonna work is this gonna work Now, 24 years later, there's no doubt in my mind that this guy and I are forever because we've done so much work. No matter how much we argue, Dr. Ray, how much, no matter how much we piss each other off, I know there's nothing bad going to happen because what we have built is so much stronger. Mm -hmm. Like when my kids were little, we would fight and sometimes we'd fight hard, you know, and they would look at us like, mommy, are you going to get divorced? And I would look at them. I would say, Maybe we'll never get divorced. And I truly believe that from the bottom of my heart because I know what we have. It's not like any other things I've seen out there. It's solid. Our argument, the need to be. When I say we'll be, we're never going to get divorced, it's because I know we worked so hard on this relationship. It's not going to go anywhere. But we do need to argue sometimes. Oh, conflict and arguing is inevitable in every relationship. There was a study done with 2,000 couples on healthy couples and unhealthy couples, and are there is there a difference in the way they fight? And the study was able to find that there was no difference at all. In mm-hmm. fact, healthy couples and unhealthy couples fight in the same way. They yeah. say mean things, they slam doors, they yeah. yell, 
You know, the only difference that they were able to find is that healthy couples made repair attempts. Healthy couples came back afterwards, after the fight, and took responsibility for their part, right? And they said, I'm sorry I said that. I didn't mean that. I want things to be different. And if you think about a, a stress test, right? When you go for a physical stress test, they put you on a treadmill, they make you run, they're monitoring your heart rate, respiration. They're not really monitoring or not trying to see how high your heart can get or how fast your respiration get, can get. They're actually trying to see how quickly you recover after the stressor is gone, because that's an indication of health. And so in a relationship, if couples are able to kind of make those repair attempts afterwards, if they're able to come together and, and start to process the anger that came up and why they had the conflict and then grow from it, that's really an indication of health when it comes to conflict in a relationship. Yeah. So I so, guess it makes sense. I mean, break down how long it takes you to fix that argument or how long you're mad for. Uh, say sorry quicker. <laughs> right. Or if you sweep it under the carpet and you don't look at it again, because there are a lot of couples that do that. Yeah. They don't even. I don't think that's at all. No, it's not at all. And we'll even have fights that last, not fights that last, but we won't talk it out for maybe a few days, but we always bring each other a cup of coffee or, you know, sometimes we're even at work and working with another couple and we're still not resolved. And we really take our time because, you know, that 10 minutes that you're like still thinking about it, you're still dumping out those chemicals in your body of fight. When you get that time to kind of contemplate, you want to ask yourself, what am I really feeling? What is this really bringing up for me? Because it's not about winning who gets to put the toothpaste where, whatever we fight about, you know. (laughs) Dishes. Yeah. Well, yeah, we have that problem solved. He does all the dishes. (laughs) She does all the cooking. There you go. There you go. Well, you guys have been great. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much. I learned so much from both of you today. We can go on for hours. I didn't. I, seriously, <laughs> yeah. I was sitting there saying, okay, well, we got to figure out what we got to say. We gotta, I didn't even need to. <laughs> yeah, no, it's, it flowed quite well. Thank you for having us. This is a really good one. Yeah. You know, like-minded people in front of me. Like we always say, we attract who we are. And I'm so happy that you guys are here because I really love where you guys are going with all your coaching and with, with you helping other couples. So speaking of that, why don't you tell our listeners where they can find you? Uh, they can find us on Facebook and Instagram, but you know, the easiest way is to go to our website, couplessynergy.com. And you know, we are going to be rolling out uh, registration for the next weekend intensive, and they can find that on our website as well, couplessynergy.com. Very good. And that's the name of your podcast as well, Couple Synergy. Right? Couple Synergy, Real Couples, Real Stories is the name of the podcast. And you can pick that up anywhere you listen to podcasts. Love it. Love it. Real Couples. <laughs> there you go. Well, thanks again. It was fun. If you enjoyed this episode of the podcast, please hit subscribe and give us a five-star rating on whichever platform you're tuning in from means the world to us to have your support on our show in this little mini way. <laughs> you can also stalk us on Instagram and head over your show for more juicy stuff. If you have any questions, send them via email at us at hohshow.com or DM us on socials. Thank you for having us between your ears. And as always, we, we wish, wish you what we, what we have. We have.